We're going through a series, Authentic Living Today, as we walk through the letters of Peter. It's timely for today, I think. And the title of the message today, it's a two-part title, Called to Suffer, Part 1. It's okay to suffer for the greater good. I want to give you a heads up, though. Next week, we're going to be talking about a big subject, baptism. We're going to be talking about it because it appears in our text, and it gives us some great insight. But we're going to try to rally together all of the pertinent other scriptures and discuss, hopefully, in a nutshell, the biblical theology of baptism that may not fit what you've been taught, but it doesn't matter. We're going to see what the Bible says and go with that. Are you good with that? All right, that's what we're going to do next week. But first, we've got to get to that point. Last week, if you missed it, we talked about God's plan for uh, the roles of men and women in the family. And if uh, you think that sounds uncomfortable, you can... We'll get it online soon, and you can go back and listen. It's a little uncomfortable. But Scripture is not necessarily always popular, but it's the right thing. So today, we're going to cover another unpopular subject, and it was two weeks ago that we answered a question. I'll bring this up at the very end, and if you missed that, that is online. You can go back and look at a very common um, phrase and the answer to it is, is not so common, but it's biblical. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, that's the way it begins. <laughs> I'm going to read the whole thing. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, it's interesting that it starts with finally, because typically in the New Testament, when you see something that says finally, that usually indicates that it's almost over, like we're at the end of the letter. We're not. We're in the middle. But, but Peter was getting to a point. That's what this means. He's finally telling us something that he wanted to get to. So he's given us some, all kinds of counsel, including some that in, includes what we get an emphasis of today, this suffering piece. But he says, finally, all of you, and he's speaking to Christians. Remember, he's got a broad audience across the land. Christians in that time were being persecuted greatly. And especially so, he mentions in the text a couple of weeks ago, those that were slaves that were being harshly treated. But he's speaking to all Christians, all of us. This includes us. If you call Christ as your Lord and Savior, this applies. He says, have unity of mind. Now, that's an interesting concept, unity of mind, because that is something that has been a difficulty in many churches, unity. You can... Look all around, and you see churches, and if you don't know the history, you can just see as you drive around, you can see there's churches that have splintered off of other churches. It's happened so many times because there was division rather than unity. And certainly, 
the churches that we identify with, the, church, the kind of church we are, an independent church but connected to restoration churches that have a history, a strong and dedicated history to following the Bible, and even so, we've, we've had divisions. And it's a shame. And early on in, in this, right here in our text, we're reminded we're supposed to be having this unity in the mind. We're supposed to have the same, we're supposed to get along in our thinking. Jesus prayed about this in a very emotional prayer just before he, he went to the cross. If you'll remember in John chapter 17, we'll read this part together. John chapter 17, starting with verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they would that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. In Jesus' mind, as he prayed to the Father, in, the, in this very emotional prayer, in his mind, our witness to the world has a whole lot to do with how unified we are. It doesn't look good to the world when they hear that the church is having division. One of those things that the church says, or the people outside the church say about the church is that we're hypocrites. And one of the reasons why they say that is because they hear some of the things that we do that we shouldn't do, and sometimes that includes our bickering, our divisiveness. Churches have split over some of the silliest things, like the color of the paint on the wall or the color of the carpet. All interpersonal relationship problems start with selfishness. And if a church is having division, somebody's being selfish. It might be a whole group of people, might be one, might be both sides of the matter. But either way, selfishness is the root cause of people not getting along. And Jesus wants us to be unified. Max Lucado told a story. And this story is about a bunch of men that planned on a fishing trip. And in case you don't know this, if I haven't talked to you yet, I do want to talk to you, men especially. Um, we're going to, the mothers on near Mother's Day, uh, the ladies are going to do something. The fathers are, or the men are going to do something somewhere around Father's Day. So we're kind of trying to figure out some things with that. And so we plan to do something manly, just so you know. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be stuff we like. But men got together on this fishing trip, and they, they took their boats, they hooked up their boats, some put them in the back of the trucks, they got their fishing gear, they went to a cabin in the woods right on the edge of the lake, and they're excited. They brought all kinds of food, they're going to have good food, they're going to have good times, they're going to, they're going to fish. But that first night, as they were playing cards and eating and getting, you know, thinking about the next day, that night they could hear the storm rolling in. The next morning they get up to get out on the water and there was lightning and thunder. So they said, no, we're not, 
we're not going to do that. We'll just stay in. We'll hunker down and try to ride the storm out. So they stayed in the cabin. They ate. They played games. They talked, told stories. And you know, some of the guys peeled off. Hey, you know what? I'm not, it's not, it doesn't look like it's going to let up. So they left. The next morning, they, the ones that remained got up, and there was still lightning and thunders. Oh, man got to stay inside so they stayed inside they played card games they told stories they ate and then they started arguing with each other and the way this played out is they all began just individually one by one they'd fight with each other and then it's ah, just leave and at the end of it all nobody went fishing on this planned fishing trip Max Lucado said the moral of the story is this. When fishermen don't fish, they fight. <laughs> Christians, this is sometimes our problem. When we are not unified, it's because we're more concerned about other things that we shouldn't be prioritizing in the first place. If we could be more about leading others to Christ and helping those in Christ to grow... We wouldn't be so self-centered and caught up in our divisive issues. Wouldn't you agree? If we, if we would just follow Jesus' teaching, I don't have it up behind me, in Matthew 6, 35, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. If we can prioritize the kingdom of God, and we would be more unified, less divided. We'd get along better, and God would be pleased. So, that's the first thing he tells us in our text today. No wonder he started with, finally. Here's what I want to say. Well, he's got some meat for us, I think. So we'll continue. And the next thing he says is sympathy. One of the ways that I understand sympathy is this. I, when I go to downtown Olympia or downtown Seattle, when... When I'm with my family, I'm in protect mode. I don't want strangers that I don't know as a threat to my family, so I'm watching out all the time. But when I'm by myself and I see potential threats, I see homeless people, and I see them as somebody's daughter, somebody's son, trying to sympathize that they're going through something they never intended to go through. And Peter calls us to not only be unified, but to be sympathetic. Think about what others are going through. Chuck Swindoll was on a subway. And while he was on this subway, there was a man and his two boys. And these two boys just kept running around, swinging around the poles, and bumping into people, and being loud and obnoxious, and running back and forth. And, and the father seemed to be completely oblivious. He just seemed to be not paying attention to his own boys. So Chuck Swindoll said, excuse me, sir, you might want to get them under control. And he told the boys, come on, boys, sit down. And he said, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, we just came from the hospital. Their mother just passed away. We don't know how to handle it. That story makes me back up and think, ah, I need to be more sympathetic we don't always know what's going on with the other people that we are criticizing. And then he moves on, Peter does. He talks about brotherly love. And that's what we talked about several weeks ago when we talked about Peter and Jesus' discussion. And it's interesting that here's Peter again emphasizing 
brotherly love. The love that we're supposed to have Christians, he's speaking to all of us Christians, with one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, other people who identify as Christians, we're supposed to love them like they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that, that is something we need to grab a hold of. We need to wrap our minds around this idea of brotherly love. Have you ever heard the name of a song and completely didn't get what the song was about just by the name of the song? If you're like me, I've heard lyrics of songs and I don't even understand the lyrics and I go off making up my own. But there is a particular song that I heard for years. I heard the song, I didn't pay attention to the lyrics. I heard the title of the song and I thought, that's such a dumb title. I didn't like it. To me, it, just, it seemed like it, you're excusing your brother for his bad behavior. That's what I thought of the title of the song. So I want to give you history so that you understand. You probably know more than me. You probably understood all along. This is going to be quite nostalgic for some of you. The moderator of the United Free Church of Scotland in 1884, his name was James Wells, wrote a book called The Parables of Jesus. That's when it was published in 1884. And in these parables of Jesus, he had a story is a fascinating story that would captivate the minds of the world many years later. It's captivated your mind more than likely. In this story, he talks about this little girl that someone witnesses. She's carrying her baby brother, but this little girl is so small that the description is that the little girl was about the same size as her brother that she was carrying. And as she's trying to cumbersomely carry her little brother, someone says to her, um, is, don't you think that's a little too heavy or something to that effect? And she said, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Have you heard this phrase? It's the title of a song that I thought was stupid. I thought somebody was saying, uh, yeah, he's, he's not overweight. He's my brother. <laughs> that's what I thought it was about. Obviously, I didn't get it. But because of this, in this book, this, this became a, a trendy thing as time would go on. It's an interesting thought, this idea, that to this little girl who was struggling to hold her baby brother, he's not heavy. He's my brother. I don't know where your mind's going, but it should be going to a place like this. You have a brother or sister in Christ, and they need your help. It's not heavy. It's my brother my brother. It's not heavy. It's my sister. Maybe somebody needs to bend your ear and complain about something that you don't think is that big a deal, but it's big to them. And they're a brother or sister in Christ. It's not heavy. It's my brother. It's my sister. Let your mind go with that. I'll give you a little bit more history. In 1918, Ralph Waldo Tyne, and I never heard of this person, but trying, I mean, wrote The Higher Powers of Mind and Spirit and also reiterated this same story about the little girl carrying her little brother who responds with, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. In 1924, Roel Falkinson, the first editor of Kiwanis Magazine, wrote an article entitled, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. In the 1940s, a priest by the name of Edward 
Flanagan. He's the founder of the Boys, uh, Boys Town. And he adopted this slogan for Boys Town. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. And he was told, uh, uh, he was told this in 1918, not because of this story. He wasn't told the story about the little girl. This was another boy was carrying another boy, as I understand it, up the stairs. And the other boy had, had um, a physical disability that required metal braces that did make him heavier. And as he was carrying up the stairs, he said to this priest, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And then in 1969, where you remember this probably, the Hollies came out with a song, and it was sung by Alan Clark, and Elton John was on the piano. I don't know if you knew that. And these are the words to the song that became very popular, and it was, you know, other people did it. Neil Diamond also sang it. Other, many other people sang it. Here's the words. The road is long with many a winding turn. And, and right now, just pause for a moment and be very thankful that I am not singing this for you. You're welcome. That leads us to who knows where. Who knows where. But I'm strong. Strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is of my concern. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there. For I know... He would not encumber me. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. It's a long road, a long, long road, from which there is no return. While we're on the way to there, why not share and the load? Doesn't weigh me down at all. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. And so Peter calls us to brotherly love. The next thing is a tender heart. <laughs> I want to explain this in a, in a different way. It's close to sympathy. And what Peter's doing is he's emphasizing this compassionate mindset in a different way. He's just kind of re-emphasizing in a, in a greater way. Stephanie and I were forced to go through these um, parenting classes before we had our first child. And she could tell you this is story as well. She's right here, so you can ask her. <laughs> but in this parenting class that we had to go through, there's, there's a, a circle around the room made with tables. We're all sitting around. We've gotten to know each other a little bit, but not really. This other couple's all around about to have their first child. They've got to have this class. <clears throat> and this lady was writing on the dry erase board uh, something that the husbands need to be aware. These are some things that your wives might, they, they might go through, some physical symptoms that come along with pregnancy as she gets further along, things that her body might be doing. And Stephanie and I, as they're, she's writing all these things down and talking about them, you ever been in a situation where you, you, you're not supposed to be laughing, but you start laughing, and then you can't stop? 
That happens in church sometimes in very bad timing. You know, it might happen like in the middle of communion, supposed to be dwelling on the cross of Christ, and something happens, and then you start, and then you can't stop because everybody knows you're not supposed to be. You know, and then this is one of those things. Well, here we were in a class where it's supposed to be serious, and we're laughing, and we can't stop. And we, <laughs> you know, you're red in the face, you know, and just have, you've been there. But here we were, but and it's in a circle, so nobody could escape it. Everybody could tell we're laughing, and it's distracting the teacher. And she finally said, would you two like to share what's so funny? And Stephanie said, well, I'm not having any of those symptoms, but he is. <laughs> and here's, here's the, 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 the teacher, she was a nurse that was teaching. She, she quickly tried to recover the class, and she said, you know why that is, don't you? That's because you have an empathetic husband. And I was young and naive, and I didn't know what empathy was. I, I didn't know what the definition was. All I heard was, you have a pathetic husband. <laughs> I had to go look it up. I didn't know. But when you empathize with somebody, you feel what they feel. You don't just understand, hey, they're going through something. I need to be more understanding. No, no, no. You, you take it on. You feel it. Like, like those, those, those dumb chick flick movies. You watch one of those chick flick movies and you find yourself with a gulp in your throat and a tear in your eye. You're feeling what they're feeling. We're supposed to empathize with one another. We're supposed to feel what they feel. As they go through difficult times, we're supposed to feel that with them. That's what Peter's calling us to do, is to have a tender heart. And then he continues, and he says, humble mind. And it wasn't that long ago when I said to you that one of your greatest weapons is humility. It's, it's one of your greatest tools. It's one of the greatest things you can exemplify for other people to see is humility, because there's not a whole lot of it out there. It seems like the world is extremely focused on self, self, self. And you can't be selfish and humble at the same time. Selfishness and humility, they're in conflict with each other. Selfishness is what leads to conflict in the church and to visions, and you won't have unity of mind. But if you're selfless, well that, that fits with humility, doesn't it? Selflessness and humility. So have a humble mind. And then he continues. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Isn't that interesting? You want blessings of God? Then you bless other people. That's what, it's kind of like a, a rational thing in Peter's mind. You, you want God's blessings? Then bless other people. Don't, don't aim for the instant gratification of getting them back. No. Consider the future. If you want the blessings of God, then bless those people that might not even be blessing you. And that's biblical. Jesus taught this in Luke you can see in Luke chapter 6, verse 28. Bless those who curse you, 
Pray for those who abuse you. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. It's biblical. Peter said it. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Oh, we need just one of them, but they all three did. And the scripture continues. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. C.S. Lewis said, For pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. And there's certainly a lack of that in our world today. At least if you turn on the news, you'll see a whole bunch of the lack of common sense. Our text continues, Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The subject is apologetics. Christians are supposed to know how to give the answer for the reason that we have. But we're supposed to do it with gentleness and respect. We can still be wise with our words. We can be even abrupt at times and matter of fact. In fact, we have the facts. We had a speaker here not too long ago, you remember talking about creation science. We have, when it comes to science, science lends itself in favor of God, Jesus, and the Bible. So does archaeology, history, and logical reasoning and many other fields. It's a good idea if we're able to answer people because if we do act this way, people are cursing us, we are suffering, and yet we are giving out blessings. It doesn't make sense, and people are bound to ask, why are you so different? Why don't you try to hurt me back? What's that about? We're supposed to be able to give the reason why we have hope in Jesus, why we act differently. It continues, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. In other words, people can talk bad about you, but people can see your good behavior. They can see how you live. Others might try to destroy your character with their words, but you keep living out your faith so that people can see that person is a genuine Christian, no matter what anybody says. Somebody, okay, you told me something about them that I don't need to hear. You know what? I see how they live, and I know how they are. Verse 17, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. That's the concept, is that we can live with this idea 
that better days are ahead even if days are difficult today. It's okay to suffer for the cause of Christ. It's okay to suffer unjustly. Live out your faith even as you are being mistreated or as you're struggling. Live out your faith. Now, two weeks ago, I gave you the history of this little symbol here, the WWJD question mark. I gave you all that history, and I hope you were here for that. The answer to the question we found right in Scripture, it's very clear-cut. Boom, contextually speaking, the answer, and, and what would Jesus do? Suffer. That's the answer. You want to look it up? You want to go back and listen to the message as we peeled back that part of First Peter? Yeah, and the answer, by the way, is in chapter 2, verse 21. What would Jesus do? Suffer. If we're going to follow in his steps, we're called to suffer. Part of it. And it's not telling us to stay in a bad relationship. It's not telling us that we can't stand up for ourselves. But what he's telling us is we can keep our Christian behavior in check while we are being mishandled, while we are suffering. That's the biblical teaching. So here's what we get of our text today. What we get out of it is our attributes of the suffering Christian. Five things. First of all, be unified in mind. Have a unified mind. If we focus on the right things, it'll be a whole lot easier to do. If we all could be focused on the things that God wants us to be focused on, the kingdom of God... We'll be unified. Second, an empathetic heart. Meaning that you feel what other people are going through. You embrace it. You walk through it with them. What that looks like sometimes is when you don't even, sometimes you don't even know what words to say, but I'm going to give you some that are a little bit easy to say because that's what you feel at the time. Somebody's going through a tragic thing you, you don't know what to say. Here, here's some words to try. Something like this. I want you to know I hurt with you. I hope it helps to know that I'm praying for you. That, that is one way that you can lift the burden a little bit. It helps. If you've ever been going through a tragic experience and somebody goes out of the way to call you or message you or face-to-face -face tell you or even snail mail tell you, I, I know that you're hurting I'm hurting with you. And you're not offering them advice. You're just telling them, I hurt with you. Now, if you've ever been in a situation like that and someone says something like that to you, you know that does take the chill off a little bit. It lifts the burden a little bit. So have an empathetic heart. And third, loving attitude. We talked about the brotherly love. Christians, we have a responsibility to look at one another less critically and more graciously than we do. It's, it doesn't take a smart person, and it definitely does not take a nice person to nitpick other people. And the good thing is, and I, I've learned since I've been here, which I came here in December and started preaching here, and I love getting to do this service for the Lord here with you, one of the things I really love about this that I've learned since I've been here is I've not heard anybody in this church 
and I've, I think I know everybody in the parking lot too, <laughs> I haven't heard anybody nitpick other people in the church. This church seems to be a church that's got this down. Hang on to that and keep it. Not every church does. Where you look at other people with optimism. You find the good in others and you, you see that. You dwell on that and you tell them that. That's a good trait. And I commend you for that. Have a loving attitude like I see you already have. Peter says, also have a humble spirit. Consider others better than yourselves. We've been instructed. We've gone over that many times. And the last thing is selfless action. It goes hand in hand with a humble spirit. But you actually have to put that humble spirit into activity. You have to live it out. Go out of your way to show others that you consider them better than yourselves. Well, that's quite a handful that Peter's given to us. The tasks are clear, but if we want to be representative of his church, this is how we behave. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for giving us your word that gives us clear direction, not popular direction, but clear direction from you. We know that if we do what you say, you will bless. God, we ask that you would help us so that we can live out our lives in these difficult times where an increasing number of people are struggling with all kinds of things that we haven't even had to deal with before. Lord, help us to be your people. In these very dark times, help us to be a light in this dark world. In this time when we need to be spicing up the conversation with our Christian conversation, our Christian words, our and all of these attributes we talked about today, Lord, help us. We want to represent you well. We want to love people as you would have us love them. May the world see this and more people come to know you and get closer to you as a direct result. Thank you for your words of encouragement, Lord. Guide us this week as we strive to please you. In Jesus' name, amen.